baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. No matter how hard we want the COVID pandemic to be behind us, it seems clear we are nowhere near out of the woods just yet. Uh, Well, this just in CNN, really alarming new details about how rapidly the Delta variant of COVID is spreading in the United States. In the past week, we have seen the daily average of new cases up 66 percent. Forty four states now are reporting a rise in infections. It is important to point out the number of daily cases is still nowhere near the worst days of the pandemic. But listen to New Jersey Health Commissioner Judith Persichelli tell us that the Delta variant there. In a short four weeks, it's gone from about 4 percent of our sequence cases, our sequence specimens, uh, to 70 percent. And because of this concern about the rise in cases around the rest of the country... The American Academy of Pediatrics today recommended that all students over the age of two wear masks at school, regardless of their vaccination status. Masks in schools again this week on 880 In-Depth. We hear from New Jersey's point person on the front lines in the COVID fight, Health Commissioner Judith Persichelli, who goes in-depth with us on the numbers there and what they mean. We also speak to a Long Island pediatrician, part of the American Academy of Pediatrics, who says the new recommendation for school kids to wear masks again this fall is actually a smart move. To people who say we don't need to wear masks or we don't need to get vaccination, I I somehow wish that they could experience what we've experienced because I don't think they would have the same perspective if they had to work in a hospital during the early parts of the pandemic. Once you've been there, it's a place you never want to return to. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheld. No, the debate over wearing masks is not going away anytime soon. And yes, most health officials will tell you if you are fully vaccinated, you don't really need to wear one, even indoors. But with the Delta variant very much on our radar, and with no way to really protect kids younger than 12 without a vaccine just yet, the American Academy of Pediatrics now says kids over two years of age in schools should be wearing masks again this fall, even the older kids, no matter their vaccination status. And obviously, as the pandemic has evolved, so too has our advice. More from Dr. Shettle Shah, who is past president of the New York Chapter 2 of the American Academy of Pediatrics, which includes Queens, Brooklyn, and all of Long Island. But first, we wanted to dig into the new numbers we're seeing in neighboring New Jersey. Our Peter Haskell spoke to New Jersey Health Commissioner Judy Persichelli. I think we know nationally and in New Jersey, the Delta variant uh, is uh, highly transmissible. Uh, It has uh, overtaken the B117, uh, which was uh, 
previously uh, known as the UK variant as our predominant variant strain in New Jersey. Um, in a short four weeks, it's gone from about 4% uh, of our sequence cases, our sequence specimens, uh, to 70%. And we know um, nationwide it uh, accounts for about 83%. So uh, the assumption we make is that the Delta variant is uh, circulating. Uh, it's the predominant variant in New Jersey, and it is the variant that is causing the increase in our positive cases. We've seen a dramatic increase in the number of cases over the past couple of weeks. Hospitalizations are going up. At what point do the alarm bells start to ring? Do you really get worried? Well, you know, we always are concerned when we see hospitalizations going up. Uh, at this point, I think this morning, we're a little bit over, we're between 300 and 400 cases, and we've been between 300 and 400 cases uh, for um, the last uh, two, uh, the last week. Um, ICU is between uh, 58 to about 62 cases a day, of which maybe half of them are on ventilators. So we have hospital capacity. Uh, we have ventilator capacity. Uh, learning from all of what we uh, experienced in the past, uh, all of that right now, along with PPE, is stockpiled. But, you know, we, we've seen a 53% increase in new hospitalizations, a 22% increase in um, actual census in the hospital. And so we're keeping a close eye on it. Uh, if that goes up exponentially and our hospitals are burdened with the uh, inability to take care of the patients that are coming in their doors, uh, that's when you really start sounding an alarm. I suspect you're not going to get the numbers that you had a year ago this spring, or do you think you will? And even short of those numbers, is there a concern that staff gets overburdened and you have trouble? Well, what we're finding is the cases are going up, but the hospitalizations are not going up. Uh, and if that's the case, then we know that's exactly what the vaccines uh, were, were developed to do. Uh, to uh, protect against uh, severe disease and hospitalizations. Uh, we are not seeing uh, the death rate go up yet. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm qualifying everything because we'll know with the increase in cases, we'll know in about two to three weeks what the true impact on hospitalizations are. And then about two to three weeks after that, what the impact's going to be on death. Um, so um, we believe based on the data that we have, that the vaccines are effective. The best example I can give you is in January, we reported over 450 outbreaks in our long-term care facilities. Outbreaks being uh, defined as uh, one or more positive case among staff or residents. We're a very conservative definition, but you know in long-term care we, can, we have to be as conservative as, as possible. We had over 450 uh, outbreaks. Uh, today, we're reporting 18. 18. So we've gone from 450 to 18 outbreaks today. And the only difference between what we were doing in January to what we have done today is vaccination. 
there was a time where there were a lot of tests being given to people, and it gave us a lot of information about it. Are people still being tested in numbers, and do you want more people to be tested? Yeah, we always are promoting uh, testing. Um, In fact, our our testing rates, they dropped a bit. Um, Our high testing rates were about 55,000 to 60,000 tests a day. Then we hit a steady state of about 45,000 tests per day. It's dropped as low as 32 to 35,000 tests per day, but now we've, we're seeing that increase. Um, the latest test per day, I can give it to you, I think. I have it in front of me. Um, just give me a few seconds here. We're at about 32,328 tests per day. We had gone as low as uh, 25,000 in June. So what about going back to wearing masks? Here's what New Jersey's health commissioner told us. I think vaccinated individuals, uh, again, as, as we've seen, vaccinated individuals are protected from severe disease and hospitalizations. What I'm more concerned about are unvaccinated individuals and those unvaccinated individuals that perhaps are asymptomatic and spreading disease. And if you're vaccinated, you can still get disease. Uh, you might may not get sick. Um, you might may feel like you have a little head cold, but you could also transmit it to unvaccinated individuals. So my suggestion is that you be people be vigilant about uh, where they are and what they're doing. And um, if the mask is not uh, overly burdensome and they feel comfortable putting it on, they should if they're vaccinated. Unvaccinated should wear a mask. No question about it. I'm curious, if you go into a store or a restaurant, do you wear a mask? Do I personally wear a mask? I, I have such a collection of masks. Uh, it's become part of a fashion statement to me. So I wear a lot of masks a lot of times in a lot of circumstances. You know, and you know, working in state buildings, we are we we're required to wear a mask every day. You can't be in a state building, and I've been in work every day through this pandemic for a year and a half. Uh, I wear a mask every day. Okay, and in terms of masks and kids, the American Academy of Pediatrics is recommending masks in schools. Why doesn't New Jersey mandate this? Well, I think the governor said pretty clearly that we'll just be vigilant and we'll watch this every day. Masks in school, we masks are not like a ventilation system, a piece of equipment. It's something that um, you can, uh, it is It is the one light switch we have. Uh, uh, we've always said this pandemic doesn't have a light switch <laughs> on and off. It's the one light switch we have. We can decide on a Thursday if you have to wear a mask on Friday. What we do support, what we do support is what, what is called for in the CDC guidance and in our own guidance, a layered approach to prevent the spread. Um, so it's, it's mass, it's socially distancing, it's washing your hands frequently, it's uh, disinfecting uh, hard surfaces. Um, all of the layered approaches that we've been talking about over time work. You put them together and they're more than effective. So we do strongly recommend a layered approach uh, to prevention strategies. 
But it seems you've got a lot of kids, especially those under 12, who are not vaccinated. They're gathering inside, probably in numbers we haven't seen since before the pandemic. It, it just seems like it would make sense if they're unvaccinated, they should wear masks inside. Well, we certainly know that outdoors is safe for them. And the other thing we know about New Jersey is that our vaccination rates are among the highest in the nation. And the only way the under the under 12 can get uh, a disease is uh, that it's passed on by unvaccinated adults. And our, our push, as you know, in the very beginning was to have 70% of uh, our uh, communities vaccinated and we've reached that goal and we're moving even further. We've actually sent county ambassadors, uh, high level uh, Department of Health, public health officials into every single county. We've identified high risk areas. Uh, they're working with uh, faith leaders, community leaders, elected officials, local health departments, and they have the full support of the Department of Health and any asset and resource we can bring into those counties behind them to vaccinate as many individuals as possible. And at this point, uh, we have uh, vaccinated 70% of individuals uh, over the age of 30. So in New Jersey, uh, everyone over the age, uh, if we're looking at the whole population, over the age of 30, we've reached 70%. 30 to 49 is 70%, 50 to 64 years of age, 80%, 65 to 79 years of age, 94%. So that's the grandparents. The grandparents are fully vaccinated. They won't, they, they will not pass the hopefully disease on to the younger individuals. And 84%, 80 plus. Where we're struggling is 18 to 29 year olds, uh, we have only vaccinated, I mean, it's a, it's a good percentage, but we need more, 60%. But we have only vaccinated 53% of the 16 to 17-year-olds and 36% of the 12 to 15-year-olds. So we need to get them vaccinated because they're putting their younger siblings at risk. When it comes so to with the high vaccination rates, we believe we can protect individuals that are yet eligible to be vaccinated. Uh, but we have to continue. Um, we're not pleased with 70%. It was the high water mark. We consider it the low water mark. We want to get even more. There are some towns, some communities, especially those uh, black and Latino neighborhoods where there is a, a great hesitancy. And we spoke to folks uh, in the Bronx, not in New Jersey, but it seemed representative. These are people who are not political partisans. They're not anti-vaxxers, but they don't want to get the vaccine. How do you reach these people and how do you convince them? The first thing is to understand that listening to them is the most important thing we can do. Uh, part of the role of the county ambassador uh, and we have, all, we have also trained uh, volunteers that we call our community core uh, that are going into these communities handing out educational information multilingual educational information uh, allowing people the opportunity to discuss uh, their concerns and uh, we have also re uh, 
uh, discharged uh, three mobile vans to get deeper into communities to make the access uh, as convenient as possible. Uh, what, here's what we're finding in New Jersey. If you bring the vaccine site, if you bring the vaccines to an area, to a church, to a community where people feel safe, particularly the Hispanic population, they will line up to get vaccinated. We are not experiencing significant hesitancy in the Hispanic population, and that is so important because young Hispanic men in New Jersey are dying from COVID at rates three times greater than their white counterparts. We are up to 16% of our uh, population that has been vaccinated are from uh, the Hispanic uh, community. The African-American black community is a little bit more difficult. Um, it's, uh, we say that it's almost in their DNA because of past history, concerns about clinical trials, appropriate uh, concerns about clinical trials. Uh, we have been able to slowly move that needle up uh, to 7.54% uh, today. Uh, when we started uh, back in December, we were under 3%, so we're moving very slowly, but we do believe with reaching out to the influencers, to these individuals, particularly the faith leaders in the community leaders that they have trust in, that we will move that needle uh, even higher. It's difficult. It requires a multi-pronged approach by many individuals, whether it be our mobile vans, our community core, uh, our uh, county ambassadors, along with elected officials, uh, faith leaders, community leaders, we are using just about every approach possible to take those that are truly hesitant and sitting on the fence, not totally against, but truly hesitant uh, to um, get uh, a jab in the arm. And um, it's, uh, it, it's uh, every community, every day, uh, one at a time. We hear a lot about uh, mis misinformation and disinformation on social media, be it Twitter or Facebook. How much of a concern is that, and how do you combat that if you can? It's a huge concern. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's been a lot of social media misinformation about the impact of the mRNA, Moderna, and Pfizer vaccines on uh uh, reproductive uh, processes. It, it's not. It's not been proven. It's not true. Uh, but it is um, preventing a lot of young women of childbearing age from getting the vaccine. And the way we've combated it, we've reached out to uh, our uh, physicians in New Jersey, well-respected physicians, and many of them from communities of color, uh, who have advised us and part and they've participated in uh, social media uh, videos that we have posted, uh, educational videos, uh, to uh, try to combat the misinformation uh, that is all over social media. Uh, I have a pediatric infectious disease specialist uh, who's uh, full-time here at the department in an advisory uh, position who goes out and speaks to just about any group that asks. Uh, as we have discharged um, so many 
of our physicians in New Jersey who have been just so generous voluntarily with their time to help to dispel uh, the uh, the misinformation that we're all um, seeing. And, and I think they've been fairly effective uh, in, in, in that respect, but it takes a lot of time. Meet Dr. Shettle Shaw. He's a practicing neonatologist and a professor of pediatrics at New York's Medical College, part of the Maria Ferrari Children's Hospital Network in Westchester County. Dr. Shaw from Long Island is the past president of the New York American Academy of Pediatrics, Chapter 2, representing Brooklyn, Queens, and all of Nassau and Suffolk counties. We asked him about the new guidelines released this week, recommending that all students two years of age and older, as well as school staff, wear masks this fall, regardless of vaccination status. Dr. Shaw spoke to our Peter Haskell. I think it's extremely important, and it's, there's a twofold strategy. The first, of course, is promoting the vaccination of all eligible children age 12 and above. But I think it's extremely important that after the past year, when so many children were ill-affected by the prolonged school closures and isolated by virtual school, the communities do everything they can to have in-person instruction. And that means that we, to, to, to be able to achieve that, we really need to proceed with caution. And that begins with universal masking for all children, regardless of vaccination status. Um, You know, we've learned a lot about COVID over the past 16 months, but one of the most important things we've learned is that the pandemic and the virus can be somewhat unpredictable. So I I guess we we hear a lot of the Delta variant now. Are kids Mm -hmm. more vulnerable per se? And do do we know if it makes kids more sick? Yeah, we don't know specifically if the Delta variant is more virulent in children and by that i mean is it more likely to get children uh ill if they contract it what we do know is that the delta variant is significantly more contagious than the previous or generic strains of of covid that are out there and that's very concerning you know we're we're now at a time where nationally 83 percent of cases are caused by the delta variant I guess the question that some parents might have is, you know, my kid's tired of being masked up. I'm tired of them having to deal with this. Is this guidance overkill? I would say no. First of all, as a parent myself, I share their frustration. My kids are both vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. Um, And I understand that it can be frustrating to have to wear the, the masks. In our hospital, we continue to wear masks. But I think it's important that when children return to school, we have to be really mindful of the fact that we've really never had so many children in one place congregated indoors for such a prolonged period of time since the pandemic began. And that's because, of course, schools shut down in March of 2020. And that having so many kids together for such a prolonged period of time is a condition that can easily enable the spread of COVID. And you know, returning to school in a few weeks is also going to occur again in the background of these rising COVID positivity rates, which have doubled in the past few weeks. And 
as an increasing percentage of increasing percentage of cases are caused by the Delta variant, which we know is more contagious. Heading into the school year, then, what concerns do you have, be it the classroom setting, be it uh, school sports, school clubs, interschool activities? What What's on your mind? What do you worry about? So the first thing I'm worried about is the relatively low immunization rates in children in the middle and high school age groups, right? So if you look nationally, according to the National American Academy of Pediatrics, only 36% of 16 and 17 year olds are fully vaccinated and only 20%, 24% of children age 12 to 15 are fully immunized. So we need to do what we can as pediatricians, as public health experts, as schools, as parents, as communities to make sure that those vaccination rates are higher because the higher the vaccination rates are in our schools, the higher the vaccination rates are in our school age children, the safer the school is. And that's the pathway to getting the masks removed in in, in school and for school activities. Um, I do think that, and you know, I, I personally think that for interschool activities, we should also be really mindful about making sure that children are vaccinated for interschool activities. And that's because we're now taking children out of their communities and allowing different communities with different vaccination rates to mix. And once we start doing that, we're really only as well protected as the school districts that have the lowest vaccination rates. When we spoke to Dr. Shah about why he feels so strongly about this change in the recommendation, we also spoke to him about any new cases he's seeing as a practicing pediatrician. So right now, uh, we are seeing with this coincident with this upsurge in cases, uh, we are seeing more people get sick from COVID. We are seeing more hospitalizations from COVID than we've seen certainly in the past few weeks. The good news is with a positivity rate that's still less than 1.5%, we are nowhere near, thankfully, where we were in March, April, May, June of 2020. Being in the hospital at that time is something that will stick with, uh, I think, all of us for the rest of our careers. Uh, I mean, there were patients that would stop breathing or whose heart would stop routinely. and you know, we had spoken about this before. They, they, in, in certain hospitals in New York City, they turned off the code alarms because there were code codes every 10 minutes and you couldn't finish one before you had to go to the other. Um, so it just became more, it just became more efficient for a nurse to, you know, just call for help than it is to announce overhead that all help was needed in one specific room. Um, the amount of resources, the amount of suffering, the amount of death that physicians and nurses and healthcare workers um, and first responders really bore witness to is, I think, really hard for people who weren't there to comprehend. I mean, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. When I tell my own family about this who are who are not in medicine, I always tell them to think about the pictures of the four morgue trucks posted outside Elmhurst Hospital in Queens. That to me is 
a really, you know, the, the, that, that to me is, is photojournalism at its best, right? The picture is worth a thousand words. There was not enough space in the hospital morgue to contain all the patients that were dying. And to people who say we don't need to wear masks or we don't need to get vaccination, I, I somehow wish that they could experience what we've experienced because I don't think they would have the same perspective if they had to work in a hospital during the early parts of the pandemic. Once you've been there, it's a place you never want to return to. In terms of kids uh, in school, what concerns do you have about the psychological impact of these past 16 months or so? Sure. I think that's one of the most important factors that impacted the National American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations. The, the sort of prime directive was to make sure that we could get kids back to in-person school as safely as possible. The number of children who report that their mental health has worsened or the number of parents or the percentage of parents who are saying that their children's health, mental health has worsened as a result of social isolation has increased astronomically. That has now become another epidemic on top of the pandemic. But that is something that we can fix, it, right? Very much like we can address COVID with the preventive health measures of vaccination, we can help mitigate those mental health issues in kids by bringing them back to in-person school. And that's why that was considered one of the most important aspects of the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations. Do you think schools have the resources to deal with these, these emotional and psychological issues that kids are going to have? Um, the answer is that it's going to be school district dependent. Um, some schools are just more resourced than others, and other schools are, have more flexibility. Um, because each school district, uh, to a certain degree, uh, has a lot of local control, the answer is going to depend on school to school. What I would tell patients and what I would tell parents is that if they really are concerned that their child has had deterioration in their mental health over the course of the pandemic and they're not getting the resources they need, they should go to their pediatrician because their pediatrician knows them well and also knows all of the local resources that are available in the community and can make that critical connection. You know, not to belabor the point, but just in terms of uh, school masking, if if someone lives in a district where the vaccination rate is high and the infection rate is low, is, is it reasonable for a district to say, you know, we're in pretty good shape, we really don't need the masks in school? I would say no for the reasons that we talked about. Um, we're only as well protected as the vaccination rates in the communities that are around that school. And number two, even if the vaccination rates are high, we don't know how that's actually going to translate into positive COVID cases once kids go back to school. And school, like I said, because of the, the number of children that are going to be together, because of the fact that they're going to be indoors for prolonged periods of time, because the fact that even though this is July, it's not going to be too long before kids are indoors because it's fall and winter. We really don't know how that's going to impact cases. And that, of course, is all occurring in the background of the Delta variant and the fact that COVID cases are rising. So I would say you don't want to be lulled into a, a false sense of reassurance 
just because your local immunization rates might be high? Um, because the answer is we've never, ever had so many kids together and in such a favorable place for COVID to spread. And until we know how that actual epidemiologic fact is going to translate into cases, I think it's premature for people to be complacent. What is your kind of nightmare scenario for fall and winter as we, you know, people get inside more and they spend more time together? What concerns do you have about that? My, my biggest nightmare scenario is return to March, April, May, and June of 2020. I hopefully don't think we're going to get there, but the fact is we know how not to get there. And that's by everyone who's eligible getting their COVID vaccine. The last word goes to New Jersey's health commissioner, Judith Persichelli. I think, you know, the message is that, um, you know, this is an unrelenting virus. And the way to stop it is to get vaccinated right now so that these variants like Delta and Lambda have no place to go. If there is a willing host, the variant will get in. If there's not a willing host because you're vaccinated against particularly the Delta variant right now, it will die out. So the longer you're unvaccinated, the more you are opening up yourself and your community to variants that could be more deadly than the ones we're dealing with today. So as I've been saying since December 15th when we vaccinated our first nurse at University Hospital in North New Jersey. Let's all just get vaccinated. Commissioner, thank you again for your time. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much, Peter. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. In Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld, are the executive producers. Find us wherever you get your audio and your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss a week. Thank you for listening, and as always, be safe. are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 